I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. Before we get to our main feature, let's talk about that trailer for Strange World. It looks amazing. I like the color pops on that. I definitely like the retro sci-fi pulp feel that the trailer has. Starting in black and white with the uh, old school announcer voice. It very much looks like Disney decided to play No Man's Sky. (laughs) It definitely has that feel, yeah. I have no idea what this is, but it looks like No Man's Sky. I I don't I don't have anything else to compare it to because there's not really a lot of plot. It's a teaser. I mean, in a few months or so, we'll get like the full trailer, and then we can have a big old discussion on that. But for right now, I it doesn't look too bad. Y- yeah, I, it just it just looks like a bunch of the stuff you find in No Man's Sky, but in a Disney movie. I, I I give Disney credit for trying something different. It, even the art style seems to be, you know, not the traditional Disney style that we have seen in, you know, the last dozen movies. I, I do like that it is a very not Disney looking piece. So. Really. Gonna be interesting to to see it. The original title was something called Searcher Clade, which is a more provocative title for me. Hmm. That makes me a little more interested. Strange World could... I don't know. It's a little generic. Especially since we just have a Star Trek show with a, with a similar name. Well, yeah. I don't know. It- yeah, so far, I mean, again, based off of, you know, this is a teaser. Based off of that, it looks interesting. And, uh, yeah, well, when the when the the longer trailer drops in a month or whatever, we'll, we'll, we'll have more to say. But, I just, yeah, so far, so, I mean, I'm liking it so far. But let's see when we get a little bit more of the plot. So, moving on. Uh, we have a new Buzz Lightyear movie coming out. The big Buzz Lightyear origin movie or the gritty reboot Buzz Lightyear or whatever. And it looks really, really good. So in honor of that, we are taking a look back into the Toy Story franchise. Last year we did Toy Story 1. Now we're doing Toy Story 2. This was not really my first choice to want to do this. I wanted to get back into the Toy Story franchise for a bit. I really wanted to do uh, Buzz Lightyear or Star Command, the uh, the animated series. But that's not on Disney Plus as of this recording. Yeah, unfortunately. But Then I I remember the opening scene to this movie, and it's like, you know what? This can work. (laughs) 
Yeah, this is our kind of our backstory for both of our main characters. We get where these toys came from in universe as what franchise they were created for, you know? Mm-hmm. And we kind of get a little bit of the backstory of the disgruntledness that Woody had with Buzz in the first movie. Because we see that taken to the extreme level in this movie. Although not by Woody. Yeah. Yeah, this is kind of interesting because we just recently did the movie that sort of gave them the idea for this, in a way. Hmm. <laughs> um. Because we had just done the Return of Jafar. Ah, yeah. Disney's first direct-to-video sequel, and this also is Pixar's first sequel. This was originally planned to be a direct-to-video sequel. The higher-ups that Disney looked at it said, this is too good for direct-to-video. We need to make this a theatrical feature. Which Pixar was not really thrilled about because they were still working on Bugs Life. And they were not the big studio they are now where they can put out one movie a year or, in some cases, two movies a year. They did not have the, they did not have the manpower to do that. So they kind of had to take people off Bugs Life. Okay, we already have the, the, the models and the sets made for Toy Story 1. Use those. Go. And now they're telling us, okay, now we have to expand this and make this a full feature. But... As a direct to video film, it was fine, but making it a theatrical feature, the higher of the picture says, no, now we actually have to make this up to our standard. And yeah, that put a lot more more stress on them to to put it up to the Pixar standard that they had already set with the first Toy Story and Bugs Life. Yeah, the the thing is is that they had two kind of animation teams at Pixar at the time is my understanding and one animation team was doing the really meticulous higher quality film animation and the uh, other team which was a smaller team was doing the CD-ROM computer games. Mm. And the problem is, right in the middle of production, I, I guess it was, they went, yeah, we're not going to do this as a direct-to-video film anymore we're going to do this as a feature film we need people to clean up this animation and make it worthy of a feature film now except we don't have enough crew because everybody's working on bugs life so apparently steve jobs just shut down the entire computer game division for a while and we're like, ha guess what? You're all feature film animators now. 
Oh yeah, this was before the you know uh, Disney. Yeah, this was before the the entire merger um, over. So Steve Jobs was still uh, in in control of of those decisions. And um, originally, I believe it was a five picture deal that Pixar had with Disney. And they thought, oh, this is movie number three. Then, then we can get out of this deal and take our, you know, probably arrange for a bigger contract with Disney or take our business to another studio. And Disney said, no, 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 no. One, because this was originally a direct-to-video feature, doesn't count in the contract. And two, the contract specifically states original movies, not sequels. So if you ever wondered why. Pixar did not do a lot of sequels at the time. This is why. Their decisions on this uh, caused a lot of problems for the animators. Disney had put a lot of constraints on Pixar. And Pixar did not like it. And one of those constraints was a time constraint that Pixar did not really feel was reasonable like less than a year i believe yeah i'm i'm not i i'm not personally sure what the time constraint was but basically pixar was like this is not uh this is not reasonable pixar had originally put caps on how many hours animators could work and things like that it, it they were known as a really good company originally to work for because they treated their employees very well. Then during the production of this film, apparently some of the Disney influence and the the way that the company kind of came through turned that into a nightmare scenario. The problem was, as a lot of times happens in artistic work, people are very passionate about what they turn in and that frequently gets used against employees in artistic professions. And so they wanted to put out a really good product and they kept coming in and kept coming in and uh, there are all sorts of horror stories about things that happen, um, injuries that happened and people having horrible things happen to them because of sleep deprivation. Yeah, no, it 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 got very bad. Yeah, one of those things almost almost ended up in the complete deletion of the movie from their computers. Yeah, someone almost deleted the entire root file of the all the assets of the of the film from the server. Yeah. Um, it turns out that if you enter the wrong command code into the, the, the root folder, um, you can delete an entire film from server. Please don't do that when you're sleep deprived. This is why maybe you should let your employees sleep, Disney. Luckily, uh, one of the animators was on maternity leave and was animating the movie from uh, her home computer. And when it, when that came out, like, um, you know, my my computer isn't connected to the main Pixar system. I still have the movie on my computer. This is why you have frequent backups and uh, redundancies 
of uh, important things like your entire freaking movie. <laughs> also, it is, uh, to, at least for me, that is a, a notch in the favor of working from home. Yeah. Um, I, I have I have heard horror stories about uh, film and television production before, but um, the... It, it it strikes me sometimes the 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 things of like man somebody hits delete at the the wrong time and your entire film just goes bye bye yeah but th- this was one of the kind of nightmare production scenarios that you hear about occasionally in in Hollywood and it was one of those things where almost everything that that could go wrong did go wrong at some point in the the making of this film i think you don't have that problem with hand drawn animation you can't delete a drawing <laughs> well weird <laughs> weirdly though, yeah. yeah uh weird weirdly i i have i have heard some some horror stories from from hand drawn films too of a similar nature but the good thing is is that they had worried about making this sequel because they had thought that it may be too cost prohibitive on the cast front. We had talked about how when they did Return of Jafar, they got a lot of the cast back, but not all of them. They were very fortunate in this one that they got the entire cast back. Yeah, we get Tom Hanks back as Woody, Tim Allen as Buzz, Don Rickles as Mr. Potato Head, uh, Jim Varney as Slinky Dog in what would end up being one of his final performances, Wallace Shawn as Rex, John Ratzenberger as Ham, Annie Potts as Bo Peep, and we get our, 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 our new characters. Joan Cusack as Jessie, the cowgirl, the yodeling cowgirl. Joan Cusack, one of those who has had just one of the most amazing and long-standing careers in Hollywood. Of course, she's got her, her Oscar nomination for Working Girl. I always remember her in in and out <laughs> Uh, one of the best performances ever. I liked her in Toys, and uh, especially Adam's Family Values. Well, yeah, Adam's Family Values, yeah, but... Um, and she has a couple of connections. Uh, she was in uh, a very Merry Muppet Christmas movie. Even though I don't think Disney owns that movie, but they own the Muppets, so I'm counting it. And of course, she was in uh, Mars Me's Moms. I don't know if that's in Disney+. Plus. But uh, I know it is a Disney movie. Yeah. A lot of our generation will think of her mostly for her work that she's done with her brother, John Cusack. Because she was in some of the kind of touchstones of our childhood, I guess. Like Sixteen Candles and Say Anything. Then... Um, gross point blank and high fidelity and then you've already mentioned Adam's family values where she goes and, and gets romanced by Fester <laughs> uh, which is one of the 
one of the greatest on-screen romances I think ever. But yeah, I just I've been a fan of hers for basically my entire life. Uh and she's just she's just so good. But and of course here she just gives this performance everything. Then we've got joining the cast people we've we've already talked about before in in other films we've discussed but you know kelsey Grammer shows up here as the prospector stink a pete yeah and um we've got jonathan harris coming back we talked about him in in bug's life um as the cleaner in in a kind of memorable scene and uh disney legend jody benson showing up for tour guide barbie yeah the little mermaid herself yeah Everyone quotes that bye bye now, bye bye now, bye bye now, and like the m- most people don't know that that started as an SNL skit. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hey, you live here in Pittsburgh? Uh, no, actually, I'm here. Bye bye. Bye bye. Excuse me, could you tell bye-bye. me? Bye bye. I'm sorry. What? What part didn't you understand? The bye or the bye? Bye bye. If you if you flew a lot back in the day. It was a very on-target joke back when SNL did that skit. And I think they really started training that out of flight attendants after that point because it became such a joke. Yeah, um, and, we, and we have uh, the legendary Estelle Harris as Mrs. Mrs. Potato Head, the character that was hinted at in the, in the previous film. We finally see her. The late great Estelle Harris, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, she just left us a few months ago as we're recording this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she also had a amazing and uh, incredible career. Our generation will know her as George Costanza's mom. Yeah, I mean that that part on on uh, Seinfeld, and of course, uh, you know. Probably just uh, after us uh, for the uh, Disney connection there, uh, Muriel from Sweet Life of Zack and Cody uh, for the Disney Channel kids. She was also the old lady bear in uh, Brother Bear. This year, I lost my dear husband, Edgar. Quit telling everyone I'm dead! Sometimes I can still hear his voice! And uh, whenever we get around to that sequel, she uh, shows up in uh, Tarzan 2. But she she did a lot of voice acting as well. I mean, you know, she she did some some Kim Possible. She uh, did uh, some House of Mouse. I I really thought it was funny in uh, Family Guy. There's one episode where she's Death's mother. Hey, that's it. I'm sick of both of you. Come on, Peter. Death, put your jacket on or you'll get frostbite. I don't have skin. That's because you didn't eat your beans. She had one of those voices that, you know, the second she showed up, you were like, oh, yeah, yep, the, there she is. And probably a very out of left field cameo comes at the very end. Robert Goulet as the singing voice of Wheezy the, the Penguin. Yeah, that one that one kind of does shock you um 
when you're I mean if you're the type of person that that recognizes Robert Goulet. <laughs> I mean at the time Goulet had done some Disney. He was just, uh he did a couple of singing stuff for uh Recess. And you know, he's in one of the best episodes of The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the rest of the cast are just people we've already talked about and then just people who worked at Pixar. <laughs> yeah. But this did get a couple of Oscar nominations, especially if you know Toy Story 2, you know where I'm going with this. When She Loved Me by Sarah McLaughlin, which was nominated for an Oscar. Well, When, when She Loved Me by Randy Newman, sung by Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah, okay. Yes, yes, yes. When somebody loved me, everything was beautiful. Every hour we spent together lives within my heart uh lost to you'll be in my heart from tarzan cause you'll be in my heart yes you'll be in my heart and for the second week in a row we have to talk about the oscar uh habit of Giving an award to the thing that maybe didn't deserve the award. This is the second time on this show we've talked about how You'll Be In My Heart should not have won the Oscar. I mean, the other nominated song was Blame Canada from the South Park movie. Blame Canada! Blame Canada! It seems that everything's gone wrong since Canada came along. Blame Canada! Which I do think should have been the winner to this day. Um, they did a whole episode on that. Yeah, I mean, still, it was it was a very good song. Instead, it went to "You You Be in Me Forever" or whatever by Phil Collins from one of the most boring Disney films in the history of Disney films. Please join us for our next podcast. How much does Kiki hate that song from Tarzan? <laughs> for more information on that, please check back our Tarzan episode. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. So you want to um, get into the, yeah. the plot of this um, thing? I don't remember seeing the, the, the first run of Toy Story 2 in theaters, but I do remember seeing the re-release. Right before 3 came out, they re-released 1 and 2 in 3D. And this intro for Toy Story 2 looks amazing in 3D. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've never seen it in 3D. I, I caught this, though, when it when it first came out, though, because this was, this was the point where I was catching pretty much everything still that, that Disney was putting out. You know, I had I had that slump. There there was a slump just after this, but this was right at the end of my I have to see everything immediately on opening weekend that, that Disney puts out. So this was I saw this one the second it came out, yeah. I mean the intro itself takes it's mostly Star Wars. There's the sound effects are definitely ripped right out of Star Wars. But well, except a, for the also Sprock Zarathustra joke. I was going to make the joke, the 2001 A Space Oddity joke, yes. There's a little bit of Trek in there. I think the titles feel more like Superman. Yeah, th this is this is very much a, a 
mishmash of how many space and space themed superhero films can we put together? I mean, this is what led us to get the Buzz Lightyear TV show. I mean, seeing Buzz Lightyear in action made someone at Disney said, hey, let's do a Buzz Lightyear TV show. This is kind of interesting, though, because I'm wondering how the timeline in universe goes here. Woody is obviously a 1950s toy. Andy is a 1990s kid. I mean, this this takes place roughly in the same-ish year as the original audience was seeing it, as the movie that we are we in the real world are watching. Timeline-wise, I would say six months or so after the original film, because the little sister is still a baby, just learning how to walk. The puppy is still a puppy. So, yeah, you you might be right. Within a, within a year of the original film. Yeah. So, I mean, mid, mid-90s. I mean, they're, they're playing a SNES. You know, I mean, they've, they've, got, they've got an SNES. And... Really great graphics for Super Nintendo, I must say. Yeah, I mean... But, yeah, the, the little sister and the puppy have not aged that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the puppy is at the end of the original film, isn't it? <laughs> now, Buzz, what could Andy possibly get that is worse than you? Wow, a puppy! That dog has not aged that much. There has been some some fan theories that maybe because we never ever meet Andy's father, we never meet Andy's father. So the general fan theory is that Woody may have belonged to Andy's father and was a hand me down to the son. Yeah, that is the general fan theory. That's never been confirmed by anyone at Disney or Pixar. But it's a nice fan theory, and it does explain why a kid in the 90s would have a toy from the 1950s. That, or it could just be they were at a sale or a secondhand store or whatever, and they saw the doll and took it. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, because Jesse is obviously a much older toy. Because when we see Emily... It's her, the 1960s. Yeah, it's everything in that room... And the progression that we see of Emily growing up, all of her stuff, you know, the record player and the things on her wall, very much show a progression into, like, the 1960s. And we know that Pete is very angry over space toys. And he talks about how Sputnik was the end of the show. Because Sputnik went up and now everybody wanted space toys. And that was what led to the cancellation of Woody's Roundup. Also, Al, we haven't mentioned Wayne Knight. We we have talked about before with Tarzan. Uh, Uh, Al is a much older man. 
possibly was even a viewer because we see that Al has a huge collection of Woody's Roundup merchandise. Well, it, it, it I'm going to say this real quick and, I'm, and we'll, we can move on. As a, as a young person, you know, we were high school, college age when this movie came in 99. So, yeah, we were last year of high school. So it didn't bother me then. But as an adult who has become a bit of a collector in, in, in my older years, it does kind of rub me the wrong way that the villain of Toy Story in this movie is a toy collector. But he is not a toy collector because he loves collecting. He is a toy collector who wants money. And I think that's the difference. Because he has this huge collection of, of Woody's Roundup merchandise. It's possible that he may that have... he wa- is selling to a museum overseas. The museum is only interested in a complete set. As in a complete set of Woody's Roundup merchandise, including the four main characters. So I think, at least in my mind, it may have started as a genuine love of, of the characters. But when people started calling him, you know, he does run the toy store, Al's Toy Barn. When that came up that, oh, people are interested in my collection, but they're only interested in a complete collection. All right, I'll complete the collection, then I can sell it all and make a lot of money. I know people who, who honestly, you know, they, they collect things, but they would not sell them. However, they have said, it is in my will that when I die, because no one in my family is interested and would love this, that I have left in my will, hey, family, do not throw these things out. I know you do not understand that they are valuable, but there are people in the world that would treasure these things. Here is how to get them to the correct people who would treasure them. I have a family member who worked for NASA and had some, like, photographs and stuff of the original moon landing stuff. And uh, basically behind-the-scenes photographs of machinery and stuff that they worked on because he worked on that stuff uh back in the day and was part of the team that helped put some of those things together and everything and so he had a lot of original photographs that he took um in in the building process and we discovered that when he just passed recently that his daughter not understanding the potential value to space enthusiasts of what he had in these things had just trashed a bunch of his um old photographs and stuff and fortunately another family member did kind of realize the value and was able to save some of them but we have no idea how much stuff was destroyed and carted away before we realized what was going on unfortunately (laughs) some stuff was lost but um, hopefully some some of it was was saved um, and can maybe be passed on to to people who will understand. But, you know, so my my point being that 
I I do understand what you're saying, but I think the reason that Al, as the collector here, ends up being the bad guy is because his appreciation is entirely monetary. He seems to have no love for the objects themselves. And it's also weird, and it's been brought up before, but how does Woody not know of his status? Not know himself, his his history, as it were. And that's, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't have the que- I an answer for that question, but people have brought it up with this movie. You know, Buzz has his knowledge of the character that he that he is. But so he has knowledge of of his own creation. He has knowledge of his character backstory because he thinks he is the real Buzz Lightyear. But Woody has no knowledge of him of Woody's roundup as a TV show or any of the other characters. Maybe it's just because with Andy, because you know Andy doesn't know anything about Woody's roundup. He just knows, hey, here's this cowboy doll. Well, if Woody was a hand-me-down. Mm-hmm. Then wouldn't he remember, like, you know, I'm Andy's toy. And before that, I was, you know, little Billy's toy. That's Andy's father, you know. Mm -hmm. But because in this universe, it does seem like toys are basically immortal. Mm -hmm. If he was a hand-me-down, that would be the, the idea of, you know, well, you know. Little Billy played with me, and then he grew up, and he kept me in storage for a while. And then, older Billy gave me to little Andy, and, you know. Mm. You know, but it's weird, because Jesse has knowledge. The Prospector has knowledge of their, you know, previous existence. Yeah, and the Prospector was never played with. The Prospector has resentment, because as he said, he stood on the shelf... For years and years and years, getting reduced in price, reduced in price, reduced in price, because no one wanted to play with cowboy toys anymore. Everyone wanted space toys, which is what I was, you know, saying earlier. You know, we see that that in the first film, Woody has resentment over Buzz being a space toy, him being a cowboy toy. Stinky Pete, the prospector, pushes that even further to just, uh, I hate all space toys. They've ruined my life. I never got to be played with because no one wants to play with a cowboy toy. And it just sours him completely. It's what if Woody went the other direction in the first film rather than becoming friends with Buzz. I think the design of the the Prospector box looks too modern for him to be an original. I would have liked if they had put some... I don't know what their their technology would have been in, in, in 99... But you know there is some some creases in the box, but the, I would have liked if it was, if the entire box was just completely faded. Well, the thing is, is that if you if you go back and you look at old nineteen uh, fifties toys, I mean this was very much based on kind of Howdy Doody. Mm-hmm. I mean that that is very much what this is based on. You know the the Howdy Doody show. If you look at some of those original boxes, 
because images exist, you know, and, mm. and stuff. And, and there are still extant examples. That sort of box art and stuff that you have, the way that it opens and and stuff like that, the the size of the plastic window and things like that. You know, all that is, it's all kind of just wrong. It's way too modern <laughs> the way that box is put together. I wish they'd have done a more 1950s feel to the box. I wish it had been a little more faded, um, especially if, like like he said, he had sat on a shelf for so many years. No matter how good that a, a, a packaging is made of, it's, if you ever see like toys that have been there, you, there's a lot of fading on that and discoloration on those boxes, and we see none of that in this. And again, it could be the limitations of the technology they had at the time. But, yeah, yeah, but even the kind of uh, cartoony drawings and, and stuff that would have been at the, the time. A lot of the other toys they have around or the other merchandise, the, the lunch boxes and stuff and everything, that has the right sort of feel to it. But the the design of the prospector's box the, doesn't so much. I just, it's, it's, a, it's. A slight little nitpick, but for somebody who loves toys as much as I do, it just kind of annoys me. The other thing is, I used to, around this time uh, that this film came out, or not long after, I worked retail. And I worked in a store that had a toy department. And they would frequently discount toys and at one point they discounted a bunch of Toy Story 2 toys and I was able to get a Woody, Jesse, and Bullseye uh, marionette all three of them as marionettes hmm. uh, that they had put out at the time um, so uh, for a while uh, I've, I've since I believe gotten rid of that, they may they may be in storage somewhere in my house, but I believe I got I got rid of them. Let's talk about Jesse for a little bit, our, our new character, the character that kind of sticks around for the rest of the film series. Uh, Jesse and her PTSD, fear of the dark, which does come back several times over in the other films and shorts. How she's been in stores for so long that she just developed this fear of the dark. Like, I can't go back to storage again. I can't go back into storage. <laughs> well, it does seem that she's basically been in storage since the 60s. I guess that nobody ended up wanting her. And then it ended up in, in Al's possession. Yeah, some somehow she ended up um, and in storage. Yeah. It's still in storage because you said they were not brought out of the box until he found Woody. Woody being the, the, the final piece of the entire merchandise collection of Woody's Roundup toys. She's finally get to go, gets to come out of the box and see the sun. And when uh, Woody wants to go back, Again, she has a breakdown. She can't go back into storage again. She she sits at the window and looks at, you know, one last look at the sun. 
I may never see it again. And you know, yeah, her story is 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 heartbreaking. Again, the Sarah McLaughlin singing and the piano doesn't. If you're not at least having a tear in your eye at the end of that scene, uh, are you even human? Here's what I want to know. How many people got turned into hoarders because of this film? Or the franchise and, in general. And the, yeah, the franchise in general. I wonder how many kids grew up watching these movies and are now have a a serious problem with, you know, clutter or a- attachment to objects because of this film series. And maybe specifically because of this scene. Like, I can't, I can't get, I can't get rid of this, you know, like kids just screaming, like, you can't get that toy to Goodwill because it's gonna miss me, you know, mm-hmm. it'll think I abandoned it, you know. Haven't you seen Toy Story? Toys have feelings. <laughs> but when you actually see, you know, the, the, the yeah, that, that whole scene of her telling her story and the song itself almost got cut. Apparent, we've mentioned this in other in other other Disney movies where they were thinking about cutting songs because they either stopped the movie or they just felt that they were too sad for 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 children audiences. But test audiences love the scene, but I can't see this scene being as impactful as it is if it was just Jesse narrating her life rather than than having the song play. I guarantee you. If you are making a film and you sit there and you go, hmm, is this too sad and or scary for a child? Should we remove it from our movie? Definitely, definitely always put it in your movie. Because I guarantee you, one, it's absolutely too sad and or scary for a child. But, two, it will become the most culturally iconic thing in your movie. I mean... And and the most yeah. beloved. Yeah. Every, everything from our childhood that is the most traumatizing thing is also the most beloved thing today. Willy Wonka Boat Ride. Or... All of Return to Oz or uh, Bambi dying, Bambi's mom dying or like name any traumatic thing you had to watch in a film. Uh, You know, um, Mufasa's death, you know, like whatever it is that is still you would not remove that from the film, would you? No. No, no, because that is the most culturally iconic thing. And you're like, man, I cannot wait to traumatize an entire new generation of kids with this. And can (laughs) you imagine if this was just regulated as a direct-to-video sequel? Yeah, I mean, this is... Yeah, this... This really would have been wasted as a direct-to-video sequel, because I would have never seen it. 
I mean, Disney was right. This is just too good yeah. to just be a direct-to-video. But, uh, but yeah, just Jesse's just, it rips your heart out to see this, this, you know, I love my kid and my kid abandoned me. <laughs> my kid grew up and abandoned me, you know? The, you you for, know that they had Randy Newman write this song and then sing it for him, and they were like, "This is the saddest song we've ever heard." But bring me Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> <laughs> you know that they just wanted to have a voiceover. Like, is there a toy in need? <laughs> Yeah. For just five cents a day, you could like. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, the second and the uh, the other one is Buzz's little little story. You know, Buzz kind of he gets the eye. Uh, he sees the new Buzz Lightyear doll, and he wants that With utility that, belt. That's what he loves. I'm saying he wants the utility belt because he was. He was the original Buzz Lightyear doll. The new Buzz Lightyear doll has the the snazzy new utility belt that he wants. It's the new hotness. Barbie with the new hat. Yeah. So he's you know he's he's going to steal the belt off this Buzz Lightyear doll and put it on his own waist, and we get we get uh, the other side. Like I said, we see the 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 other side of Woody. We kind of see the other side of Buzz. What if Buzz went even further into the delusion of them being the real Buzz Lightyear? You know? And and Buzz, yeah, Buzz finally gets the the comeuppance from the first film of wow, I get how annoying I am. <laughs> he even says it was I, was I really that annoying? <laughs> yeah. And there, you know, they take the the other Buzz with the utility belt who thinks he's the real Buzz Lightyear apparently uh, is perfectly okay with a bunch of other Buzz Lightyears that look exactly like him who also think they're the real Buzz Lightyear. Well, he has a rationalization for it. You have to stay in stasis until you're woken up. How, how does he put it? The approved uh, personnel A.K.A. the child. Yeah. Yeah, and then we get the culmination of all of the Star Wars references. Because we get the big Star Wars reference in the first film implying that Zerg was creating the Death Star. And we yeah. kind of... And that, you know, there's your New Hope moment. Here we get the Empire Strikes Back moment by Zerg saying he's Buzz Lightyear's father. That goes in a different way. Like, Papa! <laughs> As Zerg falls down. And then they become Happy's father and son towards the end of the movie. I'm playing ball with my dad. Good throw, son. <laughs> the interesting thing is, though, is that maybe that idea of that the, it's faulty, maybe that is why Buzz is the only one that has the backstory. Because the rest of the toys kind of all just sort of understand their toys. We don't really see other toys come into the mix and have that delusion or have really massive backstories either. 
you know, it, it's yeah, it's it's just Buzz Lightyear and associated toys with Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, you know, I mean, Barbie's kind of got, depending on you know where where you where you look, some of the Barbies have kind of complicated backstories, but we never really see them talk about it. They run into other toys. Those little alien toys probably have some sort of backstory thing they're connected to. Yeah, the aliens think they're real aliens. But they also kind of get that they're toys. The claws are master. <laughs> yeah. But, like, they're slightly weird for toys, but they get it. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, pretty much most of the other toys we we come across in the franchise, they get it. And we don't exactly know how much Jesse and the prospector understood about their own backstory prior to them seeing the tapes of Woody's Roundup. So it's very possible that they didn't know either until they saw the collection? The, the collection. So it might be that Buzz is just the one weird one. Maybe. Maybe. Because there's just so much lore in the character, it's just ingrained into the very being of the character. Yeah, I mean, it, it might have been something they were uh, initially planning to bring up. Maybe. In, in that In that idea... The culmination uh, of that would be like small soldiers. <laughs> yeah. But it just never, you know. Yeah. It, and it might explain why Woody is has no idea where he originally comes from. Maybe none of them really do. Until someone tells them? Uh, until somebody tells them or they see it on TV or something. And Buzz is just the strange one. Maybe all the other toys just arrive and are like, Hey, whatever. I'm a Mr. Potato Head toy. What's up? You know? Yeah, maybe. Probably one of the best in terms of animated scenes, at least for me, one of my favorite scenes is the cleaner scene. Especially how how delicate the cleaner has his equipment. Like, he puts the toy in a little chair, has a hat rack for the hat, and shines the shoes and the, and all of that stuff. It's just, he takes his craft very seriously. Yeah, and that might be, like, a real collector guy who oh. just, he maybe had a love of of it, and then he makes money on the side. Restoring old toys? Restoring old toys for other people. The thing that I like is how we continue to see, initially in the film... Woody's role as protector of the other toys when we get the introduction of Wheezy. Yeah, he you know the, he the arm he gets put on the shelf because his arm tore, and he sees Wheezy who was put up there earlier because his squeaker broke. And I love how how we how Wheezy says you know like hey we we thought they that she sent you away to go get fixed. No, that was a lie. Andy's mom told him so he wouldn't get mad that I'm gone. But yeah, Wheezy gets put into the bin to go into the 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 dreaded yard sale. 
once he sees the, the yard sale sign, he quickly, he quickly goes, you know, head count. Who's here? Who hasn't been taken yet? How would the humans react in that? Like, I put this toy in a box to get sold. It wasn't there at the end. Yet here it is still in my kid's room. What was the what was the plan after that? You know. Well, he he was riding the dog. So it could have been just a thing of like, oh, the dog found a squeaky toy. The thing is, though, is it's not the mom that fixes Wheezy at the end. It's Andy. And it shows Andy has a very big love for his toys. And we see that, well, he's away at camp. He's learned some things. You know, we see that's Andy that sews uh, Woody's arm back on. Yeah. And he says... It's good that I didn't take you to camp because your arm may have fallen all the way off and I might have lost it and that would have been bad. And his arm actually did fall off earlier in the movie. Well, yeah, and and it's showing that Andy wasn't abandoning Woody. He was being protective. And I do like that we get that nightmare from Woody. That he's, his, his nightmare is being thrown away. Like, you know, the, I don't want to play with you anymore. Bye, Woody. It, and a lot of people have, you know, with what happens in the later films, have wondered, you know, what that goes, you know, that this is Woody's thing. You know, Woody wants to be with Andy and he shouldn't want to be split up from Andy. And why would he do that? And blah, blah, blah. In the later films. Obviously, they didn't plan on, on it when they wrote the movie, but considering the later films, uh, the prospector said, do you think Andy's going to take you to college? And in Toy Story 3, he was legitimately thinking about taking Woody to college. Yeah. So it's like, you, you yeah, prospector, he was going to take me to college. Let's talk about Buzz stepping up as leader, because that's kind of, you know, Buzz has to take the, the Woody role in in this. Yeah, he even says, you know, would he risk his life to save me? What kind of friend would I be if I wasn't willing to do the same? Yeah, because they they think that Woody has been stolen, which at first he has. And then Jesse and the prospector convince Woody that, you know, well, Andy's going to grow up and abandon you one day. Might as well go to this museum where you will be immortal and taken care of and people will come by and see you every day and then you know we can just do whatever for the rest of the time i guess yeah and it's it's buzz that straight up says you know hey you're the one that tells me that we need to be there for andy you're the one that says you know the greatest thing a toy can do is be played with by a child and here you go off to go to the other end of the world to sit behind glass forever yeah, but Buzz is, ends up being the one that has to take all of the the risks, and he does come up with a couple of good plans, like the traffic cone thing. Yeah, Although which it, probably murdered a bunch of people. <laughs> I love that they that they actually have a reference to this scene in Disneyland. If you go to Cars Land at California Adventure, since it's all traffic cones and stuff. There is one traffic cone 
that if you look at it, it's slightly raised, and then you see Buzz Lightyear's feet underneath it. <laughs> so uh, somebody who who worked at the parks really liked the scene from Toy Story 2 and wanted to put it in the parks. <laughs> you know, but Buzz has to become the, the one with all the plans and the one that kind of rallies the troops and... Uh, uh, until he gets distracted by the other buzzes. If he hadn't, maybe the, the, the movie would have gone a different direction. Well, I think if any of the other toys had turned down an aisle and it was just all them. Potato Head seeing an entire aisle of just Potato Head toys. Yeah, all the other toys that were there, there might have been a couple of them in the store, but not an entire aisle dedicated just to them. I like how the how the how they have the explanation for it is that a few years ago, when Buzz Lightyear was popular, they didn't stock this. They didn't have enough toys in stock, and now they have too much. Yeah, they overcompensated for a previous supply shortage, and now there are way too many Buzz Lightyears. <laughs> I I love the escape with the Pizza Planet truck as well. Yeah. Um. And I, I love, of course, the return of the little alien grabby claw toys. Yeah, and the entire the entire final part is going to be taking place in an airport. It, it, it has it, it, it has a little place in my heart. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask if that was an un- unfortunate or kind of soft and nostalgic moment for you. Um. Yeah. Uh, I- I did at one point work as a baggage claim person at an airport. So, yeah, this does have a little bit of a a touch for me. But, uh, of course, the the joke of uh, they get the, you know, Buzz gets a sticker on him. And it's a a sticker of Butt City, Montana on his butt. Butte. Butte. Because joke. (laughs) Yeah. It says butt, and it's on his butt, and 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 the children in the audience are gonna laugh. Yeah, but I do like the uh, the bit where they finally, you know, well, how do you defeat the prospector? You give him to a child, a stinky old man doll. The Barbie with half of her face painted. She's an artist. Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the ultimate punishment for the mint inbox toy is, yeah. well, one, you're not in box anymore. And now you've got the child that likes to draw on toys and cut their hair and, you know, all that other stuff. Yeah. And then we get the really kind of gripping chase scene. Down the tarmac, which I I like. Even even having seen this movie and even, you know, as an adult, I mean, I say, you know, we were already graduated from high school when we saw this film for the first time. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not exactly like we were kids watching it for the first time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even knowing how this is going to turn out, it's still a really good tense scene. Yeah. This is a really effective chase scene 
I love how they open the suitcase and there's just Jesse curled up in a ball, just completely succumbed to her PTSD. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's Woody with the quick one liner, you know, ma'am, I think you're on the wrong flight. You know, it's like, yeah. And, you know, the, the culmination of the Woody's Roundup show, we never saw the last episode. We're going to do the last episode right now. And, and it really is his finest hour, you know? Yeah. yeah. Good good roping, good riding. That's... Yeah. And I just love that, that that end gag is like, hey, we're all together. Let's go home. And then just the, the plane is right flying right, right next to them. He... <laughs> it's still a funny gag all these years later. Yeah. And of course, people wondering why is there a, a an airport cart parked right in front of Andy's house? Yeah, I like they they park it in front of the neighbor's house and then run across the street. <laughs> and you get everyone, how did this get here? And we get the first glimpse of the relationship between Buzz and Jesse. You know, Buzz straight up ha- finds Jesse attractive and being uh, him going completely, you know, nervous o- around her. Like, you have a beautiful hair of yarn, yarn of hair. Um, or, uh, uh, I mean, and then, you know, her showing her own athletic prowess in, in skating down the Hot Wheels track and opening the door to get the dog to go to the bathroom outside. And of course, you know the obvious. Um, yeah, the the adult joke with Buzz and the wings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that joke is for the adults. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's another thing that comes back in later films. While yes, Jesse and Woody have a bond over them both being cowpokes and being from the same series and both having a similar you know they do have a bond but it's the relationship between buzz and buzz and jesse in the later films and the later shorts that really evolve especially since we don't see bo peep for a while after this movie but i like that they didn't immediately you know they set up the relationship with with woody and bo peep so heavily in the first film that I'm really glad they didn't just go like well here's his predestined girlfriend or whatever Mm -hmm. just because she's the same franchise as him and then had him completely forget all about Bo Peep the second Jesse showed up Mm. and I like that at the end of the movie he gets back home and immediately is like yay Bo Peep you know? Yeah. So I like that they didn't immediately have him end the movie with like, well, I'm home and I brought a girlfriend. Because that would have been such a douche move, you know? Yeah. So I like that they end this movie with like, oh, Buzz has a crush on Jesse. And Woody goes back to Bo Peep. And of course, uh, I mean, if you have to be all heteronormative about it, you know? I mean, it's it's this is still '90s Disney. We're not quite there yet. Yeah, we're we're not we're not uh, we're not to the point where Disney will give you a single line to develop your homosexuality. 
<laughs> we don't have a pride collection on Disney Plus yet. <laughs> oh, that pride collection makes me so mad. That's a different podcast for a different day. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, and of course the uh the aliens that, that Potato Head saves. <laughs> Let's adopt him, Daddy. <laughs> yeah. The one thing that we kind of skipped over that I will say I had forgotten about that I did find interesting in the rewatch mm. is I had forgotten about the in-universe use of You Got a Friend in Me. Yeah, You Got a Friend in Me comes from Woody's Roundup. We had only heard it in the original film as just a song that played over a montage. Yeah. So it wasn't an in-universe song in that. But in this film they established that it was a song that Woody sings during Is this Tom Woody's Hanks singing? Roundup. Is this and Tom Hanks singing? It is. It is Tom Hanks and then it is sung again by, by, by Robert, Robert Goulet. Goulet. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the film. Gotta say that, you know, the, the big band version of You Got a Friend in Me actually still does slap after all these years. Yeah. But it is nice having the the kind of uh, stripped down version that Tom Hanks does. With just, uh, with just, just the, guitar. the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's a really interesting and I mean he hadn't done it at at this point yet but it is a, a kind of very Mr. Rogers sort of feel to it. Oh yeah, he did do that Mr. Rogers movie. Yeah, I, I mean decades before he would actually do the the Mr. Rogers movie, but it it does have a a perfect kids show feel. Yeah. It does have that, like, now gather round, kids, this is the the song we're going to end the show with, you know? Except that that wasn't really the vibe of 50s kids shows. That sort of thing wouldn't really become the vibe until somebody like Mr. Rogers, which was a bit more, you know, early 60s. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bit more late 60s, early 70s kind of feel. You know, that was, that was a very much Mr. Rogers, Jim Henson sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's a little, it's a little too early for that vibe, but it is, it's still a nice vibe though. Yeah. And even the 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 big band version that that Robert Goulet sings. I also I prefer is... both of those versions to the Randy Newman version though. Yeah. But uh, I, that's another one that gets used in the park, Hollywood Studios. You go to Toy Story Land, you ride the Slinky Dog coaster, at the end of the ride, you see this giant animatronic of Wheezy singing You Got a Friended Me. I I will say one one final thing though. All right. They're still working out the animation at this point, and that 
dog is a monstrosity. I mean, yeah. the humans are still a little dodgy. The, the humans still look a little plasticky. But that dog is a nightmare. I mean, I mean, compare the dog in this movie to the cat we see in Toy Story 4. Night and day. Yeah, they they get so much better as the, the years go on. They're, you know, they're doing better with fur and and animal faces and stuff. But this this dog, like when when that thing first came on screen, I was like, ah! <laughs> it's, it's so awful. Oh. But you know, seeing this movie in, in, in 1999, oh that's so realistic. <laughs> I I don't know. It's 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 just terrifying. It was it's the one time that I've seen a dog on screen and I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Do not want, do not want, go away. Oh, but that's that's Toy Story 2. Uh let's ask the question. Does Toy Story 2 have the magic? Absolutely, yes, it does. It still holds up. It is still one of Pixar's greatest movies. Uh, the animation of the it's good for its time. It, some of the animation doesn't hold up, like you said, like the dog. But the writing is still good. They made the right call by making this movie a theatrical feature. Because if it was just regulated as a direct-to-video movie, it I don't think it would have gotten the love that it has has had over the last twenty plus years. Definitely, definitely has magic, Kiki. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, rewatching this one, I was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, 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 good, good stuff." Still like it. Remember liking it when I first saw it in theaters. Like it now. It it works. the The jokes still work pretty much. Pretty, uh, you, there were one or two where I was like, "Eh," but for the most part, all the humor still works. So. So yeah, Toy Story 2 still good. And I'm really looking forward to this 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 Lightyear movie. So let's move on to next week. We are staying in 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 the sort of realm of sci-fi long before Star Trek, long before Star Wars. The one that kind of started it all even though they didn't make a movie till much later, John Carter of Mars. Disney did do a movie on that. But it was the book that inspired Star Trek, the book that inspired Star Wars, and so many other sci-fi movies that came after. And yeah, we'll I've been wanting to talk about this one for a while now. Cannot wait to uh, go look back at it. We're going to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger and get our butts to Mars. So yeah, join us next week for John Carter. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. <laughs>